May 30th, 2015. It was one of the greatest days of my life. It was the day that I married my beautiful wife, Emily. This is something that we had been waiting for for a very long time. It was a beautiful day, a beautiful setting. Got married in my parents' church. Something that we were so excited for. Now, one of my favorite moments of any wedding, but particularly my wedding, is the moment that the song begins to switch and the doors open. Here comes your bride. The moment that the bride walks down the aisle is by far the greatest moment of any wedding. And on that day, you would have found me standing just like this, just nervous, waiting, and then you would have found my dad right here with me. And as soon as those doors open, oh my gosh, my wife looked beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And some people have that weird obsession of where they don't look at the bride, they look at the groom. You know what I'm talking about? You're one of, you may be some of those people. And what you would have found is that I'm just like, I'm losing it, I'm crying like crazy, but it gets worse, my dad is crying like crazy. Just a couple of saps in our family. I can hear the music, I can see my wife's beauty, and man, it was just so, so special. See, on that day, I said my I do's, I spoke my vows, and I put a ring on it. And when my father said, son, you may kiss your bride, I kissed my bride. And here's the picture of the day right after that kiss. You see, it's not only is walking down the aisle the best moment, the second best moment is the pronouncement. Whenever I got to hear for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Aaron Rayburn, and we walked down the aisle hand in hand, and that is the picture that you've seen. It's still by far one of my favorite pictures from our entire wedding. You know you pay thousands of dollars for wedding photos, but the one that you keep, the one that you print, came from Instagram, right? It's crazy, it's crazy. This is the day that I got married. And for the past seven years, we have been just faithfully walking in this thing called marriage. Hasn't been perfect, hasn't always been beautiful, but it is what it is, it is our marriage. But I want you to just imagine for me just a little bit here. Imagine this story going very differently. Could you imagine that instead of me walking hand in hand after the pronouncement, it's just me? Could you imagine if I just left my wife standing there? You see, I have expressed my love to her, I've expressed my vows to her, I've communicated my commitment to her, my service to her, I've even been pronounced as her husband and wife, but then I never talk to her again, I never see her again, I actually just leave her right there and walk out the door. Could you imagine that? And the question I want you to ask is would you call that a marriage? Well, according to the state of Kentucky, legally, yes, we would be married. That would have been our wedding day. We would have signed our certificate. According to the state of Kentucky, we would have been married. But would you call that a marriage? To you, probably not. To my wife, most definitely not. We all know that marriage is not less than this ceremony. But we also know that it is much more than just that day. It is a covenant, a commitment, a beginning of a life together. You see, maybe the day that you got saved is one of the greatest days of your life. You found yourself at a revival. 
Maybe you just found yourself on the side of the road just weeping and crying, or maybe you found yourself in a church that you swore that you would never attend. And you found yourself saying a prayer, or you found yourself knelt down at an altar proclaiming these words, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I have messed up, I have screwed up, but you say your grace is efficient, and I'm gonna step into that, and I'm even gonna proclaim Jesus that from here on, I am gonna follow you all the days of my life. But could you imagine if you just left Jesus right here at the altar? Would you call that discipleship? Would you call that following? See, marriage and following Jesus is an invitation. And how we respond to both of these is our choice. And so I ask you today, what does it look like to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him. If we know that the moment is so important, but we also know that following Jesus is more than this moment, then what does it look like to follow him? Today, we're gonna be having fun with that question. Today, we're gonna be looking at the different responses that Jesus says come from hearing and receiving the word of God. And my hope for us today is that we will find ourselves in the story that we are about to read, identify how we have responded to this word, and then step into the invitations that lead beyond the altar to following him. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. This is going to be such a fun parable to get to just help dissect, understand, and connect with. We will be starting in chapter 13, verse one. Here we go. It says, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now real quick, let's just make a few observations here. We have a farmer, and we have, farmer has a bunch of seeds. It's all the same seeds, but we see the difference is the soil. Four soils, four different conditions. The path, the rocky, among the thorns, and the good. And we also see that there is four different responses to the seed being put in that soil. The first one, as we read here, it is stolen. The second one, it finds growth, but is scorched. The third, growth, but choked. The fourth, though, produces grain. Now, I am not a gardener, a farmer at all. At our house, it is where green things come to die, 100%. But my papa is. He's like one of the best gardeners in all of Carter County. So just by association, I'm gonna say I kinda know something, a little, not much though, still. Beginning in April, going all the way through September, you will see my grandfather committing his 82-year-old body to serving that garden to faithfully sowing and planting seeds. And if I were to ask him, Papa, what do you hope to find from all of this work? His answer would simply be, fruit, son. (laughs) 
of course. I'm not gonna go through all of this labor to not be able to see some fruit at the end. He hopes that the seeds that he plants has growth and that produces fruit. And listen, all his grandkids, we hope the same. We hope the corn is bountiful. We hope it is good, because man, praise God for the corn that he produces. It is magical. We want that. See, planting seeds in good soil leads to taking root, to experiencing growth, to producing fruit. This is what my papa hopes for. And as we will see that this is the same hope that God has for you and for me. That the word of God would be heard, that it would be received, that it would be understood, that it would be rooted in our hearts and produce a life in his presence and love. But as we see, this isn't always the response. You see, in verse 10, we continue on with the conversation. The, the disciples actually have this interruption of a moment. They said, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And you can almost imagine them saying, why don't you just speak straightforward? Just give it to them real, give it to them straight. But he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their hearts they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, the parables that Jesus gives, they are not meant to be confusing. They are instead God's gracious and merciful teachings that hopefully that all would receive and believe. But this is not the response. He points to Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, says God told him that he would speak, but the people would not hear and respond. And this is even more crazy because the people that Jesus is talking to are the same ones that have seen the miracles, that have heard his teachings over and over again. We're talking about people who have literally seen the dead raised, who have seen eyes who were shut, now see, the blind can see, the lame walk. These are the same people. But then they proclaim, it's in the name of Satan that you perform these works. Same people that rejected his words. How is this possible? We see it proclaims here in this scripture, dull, dull hearts, deaf ears, and closed eyes. See, what we find is that we oftentimes rarely change our minds. I was trying to ask my wife last night just to give me a good illustration for today. It ended up working out, but I did not come out very well for this one. I said, when was a time that I was wrong? I noticed I say, when? When was a time that I was wrong, but wouldn't admit that I was wrong? Her response wasn't specifics. She just said, a lot. I was like, what do you mean a lot? I said, you're wrong, that never happens. You see what happened, right? She's like, uh-huh, here's my point. Gentlemen, 
we are the world's worst. She could not give me the specifics, so then I began to play on that a little bit. I was like, well, then it must never happen. But we know it happens. We rarely change our mind. We have oftentimes our mind made up. We become so sure, we become so proud. And the point is that we see here in the first response is that some do not see and some do not hear. Those who have already made up their mind about Jesus or who already have a prejudice or a belief will rarely humble themselves to receive something new. And many of you today have already come into the room already having your mind up about who Jesus is. And I just want to encourage you, just open your heart just a little bit. Don't close it off just yet. So what was it that the disciples possessed and that the others did not? It was their faith in Christ. They may not have understood everything that he did, that he said, but they trusted him. They may have questioned him, but they followed him. How we respond to the word of God will be directly related to our trust in him. The disciples followed by faith in Jesus, and as we will see throughout the explanation of this parable, that is the response that Jesus cares so much about. So here we go. Verse 18, Jesus proclaims the first word. I continue to say this, hear, and he says the same thing. Hear then the parable of the sower beginning in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart, and this is what was sown along the path. You see, we find here that the seed is the word of God and the soil becomes our hearts. But the success of the word is very different for us. The path we find that the word that it was heard. We even see that the word was received, but it was not understood. And it was snatched away. It was stolen, snatched away. And what was snatched away? Once again, I wanna proclaim this. The word of God is what was snatched away. I've got to perform many weddings at this point, but I'm reminded of my words, the words of my own wedding vows. They went like this says, I, Aaron, take you, Emily, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for rich, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. You see, many people on their wedding day, they say these words. They hear their spouse even proclaim it back to them but yet they don't understand what they're really proclaiming. How do you know that they don't understand? Because this is the marriage without action, it's just proclamation. We have been accustomed, especially the church, to hearing and doing nothing with it. To proclaiming one thing with no action to follow. We are so good at the church, in the church, of proclamation without application. To proclaim Jesus as our Lord, but to live our lives a completely different way. It's the same way to proclaim that you will give your life to your wife, but then also to go and just seek after your own pleasures and your own desires outside of marriage. The two just don't 
make sense. But this is where we find ourselves. In the church, we have sermons, podcasts, Bible studies. We are not short of content by any means, but of putting the content into our life is where we struggle. What we find here is that how was it so easily able to be stolen? How was it so easily able to be scorched? Is that we find it just stayed on the surface. It never got any deeper. And then we find that beyond just staying on the surface is that Satan makes his move. How does the evil one snatch away what was sown? I love this proclamation over and over is that we find the word of God is truth. So how do you take away the word of God from somebody's life? You begin to speak lies. It becomes very simple. What is the enemy's greatest tactic and tool against you? To begin to help you see that what you thought was truth is really just lies. Or so he says, we trade action for proclamation. We trade truth for lies. Hearing things, you aren't really a believer. Jesus really doesn't love you. You can't do this. So what to do at this stage? If you find yourself right here at this stage, what do you do? You see, when you first get married, nobody really tells you this, but when you first get married, you will screw up a 100,000 times. Over and over again, you will make so many mistakes. How you know you make so many mistakes? Because she's gonna be really upset at you. It becomes pretty easy to tell. When she's upset, you've probably done something wrong. But that's just the nature of it. You've never experienced a marriage before, so why do you expect to be perfect in that marriage? You see, here is what we find, and this is the beauty. What do you do at this stage? You see, your actions in marriage will oftentimes not express your love. They will be 99% selfish, but over time, over time, you begin to learn. You begin to understand a little bit more about your wife. You begin to understand a little bit more about what makes her happy. You grow as a husband, you grow as a wife. Your actions begin to express this love that you proclaim. And you will get things wrong in your walk with Jesus, 100% you will screw up more times than you can ever count or imagine. And you can also bet that those who proclaimed, who have just stepped out of that baptism tank last Sunday, I guarantee you that this week has been full of so many lies in their head, so many things spoken over them. So what do you do? When you hear lies, it moves to truth. You move to truth. And here's a simple statement. If you are in this stage, keep showing up. Keep showing up. When you screw up, be honest, don't hide. When you don't understand, keep going to the Bible. When you have questions, ask them. Bring them to the table. What you read, apply it. Man, let's see God move in our lives in incredible, incredible ways. We continue on in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. How is the rocky ground here different from the path? You see, they hear it, they receive it, and they understand it. And we see that their life is marked by joy, excitement, praise, going all out for Jesus. They are on fire for Jesus. These are my favorite people in the church, by the way my favorite people. They remind us of what Jesus has done 
for us. But we even see in their life that there may be some growth, but we find that the growth is scorched. And it's scorched specifically spoken here by trials, heartaches, persecution. And what we find is that they begin to fall away. What is the cause? A lack of roots, a shallowness. The cause, the cause is actually not the persecution or the trials. Notice this as well. That is not the cause of this situation. It's the roots. The problem was not their sudden growth. It was their depth, their lack of depth. This, my friends, is what we call in the marriage world the honeymoon stage, 100%. This could last as long as just a day or it could last as long as five, 10, 20 years. I don't know, but this is the stage where you are just infatuated by your wife or by your husband. They, there is no wrong, always just love, overflowing. But then the real world hits. And you find that marriage is extremely hard. You see that you have expectations that he or she is not meeting. You see the real person that you married and you may even just have your first fight. Just maybe. You find that life does not get easier after getting married, but rather it gets much more complicated. And here is what I wanna proclaim to you today is that you also probably find that life does not get easier when following Jesus, but rather gets much more complicated. It's not always easy, it's not always awesome, or without pain, but rather we find words like inflicted, persecuted, troubled, become the adjectives that describe our life. Let me tell you how wild God is. So this past week, we got to go down to Augusta, Georgia to see my nephew and my wife got to spend time with her sister and brother-in-law. And I knew I had to prepare for this message. And so I do what any man in Kentucky does. He finds a donut shop. Can I get an amen? Where's my donut lovers out there? Yes, amen, you're my people. I found my donut shop and I began to prepare and just spend time with the Lord right there with my coffee and donuts and just enjoying the day. And so I then I finished my preparation and as I was leaving, as I was leaving, I literally opened up the door and I looked back and on the table right here is a book that I recognized. I'm like, oh snap, it was the Bible. And there was a guy sitting at the table who had his Bible open. And I completely do like a 180 and I just became that weirdo that's just like, hey, what you reading? And he was like, he was really happy to talk to me, I think, by the end of it. But I was that guy. And he was like, hey, I'm reading out of the book of John. I was like, oh, that's awesome. He said, what are you reading? I said, well, I'm actually reading out of the book of Matthew. It's like, cool. So then we had this moment where we got to have some small talk and then he made this comment that is just like a trigger word for pastors. He said, yeah, but life's just not going that great right now. I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. What's wrong? And I just press in. I knew at that point I was committed and I was in it, that me and this guy were about to connect and be friends on Facebook for a long time. And he began to proclaim, he said, See, I fell in love with this girl. I said, oh snap, this is gonna be good. He said, I actually met her right here in this coffee shop. I'm like, no way, I'm loving it. And he said, man, she even brought me to church. 
And I began to find this newfound faith in who Jesus is. I began to experience life to the full again. I even began to grow closer to her and closer to him. It got just, just felt so in love with her that we both proclaimed at the same time, let's get married. To the point to where six months after meeting in the coffee shop, they found themselves engaged. And in the moment, I began to proclaim, it's like, oh, this is so crazy. This is such a cool story. But then he began to proclaim, but I had a lot in my past that she didn't know about. And I felt like I needed to confess those things to her. I felt like she needed to know. And this is where it turns terrible. He said, it went so far as she was so upset with me, she said she literally punched me in the face. I know what you're all thinking, what did he say, right? That's all I could think about for about five minutes. I was really distracted. But then I began to press in even more. She said she never wanted to see my face again. She never wanted to talk to me again. And here we stand three weeks after a canceled engagement. And this is where I find myself. In Augusta, Georgia, sitting in a donut shop, hearing this story and hearing him proclaim these words. I didn't see this coming. Why won't she just forgive me? Isn't that what Christians are supposed to do? I'm mad, I'm confused, but most importantly, I'm just disappointed. See, you can imagine this guy's story. To be able to find Jesus, to be able to find love in him and in her, and then to be able to find on this faith journey, to see yourself five years down the road that this is the person I'm gonna marry, but feel this call to confess and to see everything left in the ruins. How can he move on? How can he imagine himself that he's not disappointed? See, for many of you, you have gone through more pain than I could ever even imagine. You have even called out to God, you have prayed, you have looked to the word, and yet you have found no response. Whenever I began to think about this group of people in particularly, I think that there is this aspect of what you will hear in the world, that this is the cross that you have to bear, or just suck it up and find God, that there should be no empathy in these situations, that you are just aren't trusting enough, or that your faith isn't big enough, but that is not the reality at all. That is not what you need to hear at all. In his book, Searching for Enough, Tyler, Tyler Staten makes this connection. Maybe like Thomas, the foundation you're building on is spiritual disappointment. You say, I walked out on the limb called faith with God once before and it snapped underneath me and sent me tumbling helplessly to the ground. God turned out to be completely underwhelming and the whole faith thing left me with a lot more pain to sort out than anything else. For many in this room, it is not doubt that you are wrestling with. It is not doubt that you feel, but rather it is disappointment. It's made it difficult to even be in church. It's made it difficult to even hear the word. It's even made it difficult to be around other believers. And right now you probably find yourself isolated, you probably find yourself bitter. You find yourself even probably without any hope. Or you sit in this room and because of what you have seen in everybody else's life, you have actually begun to proclaim that you don't even ask where God is, you just proclaim that there can't be a God. How could a good and loving God allow this 
to happen. I believe that many are in this point in this room, either disappointed or questioning, can there really be a God? And here's what becomes so challenging in those conversations like I had at the coffee shop, is what do you say? What do you tell somebody who is in that situation? What do I tell you right now who is going through that situation? There are not words that I can express that oftentimes can bring you comfort. But I wanna proclaim the words that came from Peter to give us direction. And I want you to hear these words. We find in John 6 that the disciples questioned, confused, unsure, but Peter's words bring us direction. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, in response to our suffering, here is what you will find, as we see in the scripture, is that you fall away. You push away, you distance yourself, you isolate yourself. And those are real and honest emotions. Even in the marriage, you see this play out. When things get hard, you distance yourself. But we find that that isn't what we see in the disciples' life. That isn't what Peter is proclaiming here. He is saying to pour yourself into the presence of God, to bring your hurt, to bring your pain, to bring your shame, to bring your disappointment directly to him. To remember what you have heard and what you have received. And in this proclamation, what was the problem? It was the depth. So how do we fix it? We focus on the roots. And roots just take time. They take time to build. And roots, this is the hardest part of this sermon, is that roots will oftentimes begin where your comfort ends. They will oftentimes begin where your comfort ends. And so what that requires you to do is that whatever situation that you are in, you must step out in faith. You must step out in trust to him. And here is what I want you to proclaim today, is to testify. That is why we sing all of those songs today, to testify to the goodness of God. Because even though you may not see it, even though you may not feel it yet, that will one day then become your testimony. You will one day begin to testify that I did not see him, I did not feel feel him, but then one day God showed up. One day just God brought a little guy from Kentucky to a donut shop in Augusta to encourage a guy who's probably at the brink of losing his faith because of a situation that has happened in his life. And I just speak some words of encouragement. Stay faithful. Don't fall away. But lean in. Lean in, church. Lean in. You're on the break. You're on the cusp right now of almost hearing the lies, of hearing the words, and of just pushing God out of the question. But don't run away from him. Just run to him. Take everything that you're feeling, take all of your brokenness, all of your disappointment, and lay it right there at his feet. And just let him hold you. Just let his presence overwhelm you. This is the disappointed disciple. But we see as we continue on in verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Here is where we see the parable that we see the word has been received, the word has even seen some growth, but the word is being choked. It's being suffocated. It's growing, but we see here that it is also not fruitful. Thorns and seeds are competing in the space. 
And we see two causes, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. Or put another way, it's busyness and it's restlessness. Let me just set the stage for you from this quote from Ronald Rollheiser from his book, Sacred Fire. See if you connect with it. We rise early, groan as our alarm clocks startle us from sleep. We rush through breakfast, ready things for the day, fight crowds and traffic and route to work, settle into a task that is demanding and draining, gulp down a quick lunch, end the workday tired, commute back home, ready another meal, tend to the needs of loved ones, share a meal and others who are just as tired and restless as we are. Then attend to the commitments, extracurriculars in the evening. The day simply takes us consumes us, drains us, leaves us in its wake, sitting on the couch before a screen, tired, dissipated, needing to still, needing still to prepare for some things for tomorrow and wanting a mindless distraction. Beyond that, we find a restlessness that there's all sorts of these distractions around us, TV shows, our cell phones, experiences, all the things that you see that you're missing out on that you wanna see and do, and we find ourselves just restless. See, our busyness and our restlessness keep us distracted. This is me, this is you. We are distracted disciples, we are. Where do we see this having the greatest impact? Just look at your marriage. When was the last time that you and your wife got to spend any time together? I can look up back on my, mine and Emily's relationship and over the past just month, it's just crazy. It's crazy how busy life can become. And when you find that everything is getting your attention except your marriage, everything is getting our attention except for Jesus. Distractions are oftentimes not gross sins, just simple actions that compound. They lull us into this idea of I'll get to it later. This happens in our marriage, this happens in our relationship with Jesus. Distraction is the way that the masses get through life. And so if you find yourself in this situation, ask yourself these questions. What is suffocating me right now? What am I anxious about? What is competing for your time? What are you chasing after? What are you running to keep you distracted? And I encourage you to ask those questions, identify and ask and make this proclamation to cut back what is choking in your life. Things unhealthy, things you should say no to, release to God and trust. You see, we show our faithfulness to God, not in our feelings, but in our commitments. Any of you married couples ever try to have a date night? It's extremely difficult. And as much willpower and want to that you put into that situation will not create a date night. You have to plan for it, prepare for it, find the babysitter. Following Jesus is something that you commit yourself to and you make time for if you want to. It's your choice. Your marriage can be as strong as you want it to be. It's your choice. Your relationship with Jesus can be as strong as you want it to be. It's your choice in the last soil we see here the long obedience as for what was sown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30 what distinguishes this soil from the rest one word is fruit 
And you find that there was probably still stones in the soil. There may even have been some thorns, but what you have seen is that nothing prevailed to hinder it from producing fruit, nothing. This is like the 50-year-old couple you see at Cracker Barrel, still holding hands. You know what I'm talking about, that couple where you're like, they are still walking today in the same way that they walked down that aisle 50 years ago, hand in hand. Do you think bad things have happened in their life? 100%. Do you think they have gone through hardships? 100%. But where do you see them? Walking hand in hand. But I don't believe that we have to wait until we're 50 before we can have a good marriage. And I don't believe that we have to wait 50 years before we really understand what following Jesus is like, before we have good soil producing fruit. See, man's heart is like soil. It is capable of improvement, of bearing good fruit. You see, in the beginning, what I shared with you were the extremes. I have personally never seen anybody left at the altar, and I hope and pray I never do. That would be terrible. But life as a pastor's kid, let me tell you something, I have grown up in the in between two pews. I have heard more sermons than I could ever begin to tell you. I have heard more worship music and hymns sang in my life than probably anybody else in this room. And I have seen so many people say a prayer. I've seen so many people find themselves at the altar proclaiming, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I give my life to you. They have fallen away. See, following Jesus is never about arriving. It is not this linear progression that you just continue to go through life. It is about remaining and becoming. You see, in this life, we never fully arrive. The soil always needs to be maintained. Thus, when we look at the invitations for conversion in the gospels, we see that while they all ask the same thing of us, in the end, they must meet us at different moments in the journey. These moments to help define and shape what we need to do, shape the invitation that God has given us into. To some today, that is just conversion. To some, that is into a deeper relationship, a deeper commitment to him. To some, it is to literally die to yourself, to die to your old ways, to commit yourself fully to martyrdom in the name of Jesus. So I just wanna ask you, as we go into closing today, which of these invitations to deeper trust and faith am I being called Keep showing up, to focus on your roots, to cut back what is choking, to produce fruit. Going back to my papa, if I were to ask him, would you ever sow like this? He would say, no, there's no way. You see, isn't it strange here that the sower throws seeds in places that you would never imagine to grow fruit? See, in this point, we learn and are reminded of a very special characteristic about who God is, that God is prodigal. And whenever you begin to find the definition of prodigal, you find that he is wastefully extravagant, lavishly abundant. We see this in the parable of the sower, that God is just throwing seeds, and they are falling on all different soils. Generously, almost wastefully, is he throwing the seeds on the road, among rocks, among the thorns, on bad soil, and on rich soil. No farmer would ever do this. Who would waste on soil that would never produce a harvest? But God, it does not seem to ask this question, but simply keep scattering his seed everywhere. 
without calculating whether or not it will bring a return or not, or whether or not there'll be a good investment in the long run. And it seems also that God has an infinite number of seeds, an infinite number of invitations. For us, there's both a huge challenge and a consolation in this. The challenge, of course, is to respond to the infinite number of invitations that God scatters on our path from minute to minute. The consolation is that, and this is what I hope that you hear today, and the encouraging word that I hope that you hear today, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, that no matter how many of God's invitations that we ignore, there are always be an infinite number of others. No matter how many we have already ignored or turned down, and let me tell you something, there have been thousands in my own life. There are still new ones awaiting each minute when we have gone three weeks without praying, when we have gone three weeks without our word, when we have literally not changed our lives in any way, there is still another day to respond. When we have ignored a thousand invitations, there is still another one waiting. God is prodigal, and so are the chances that God gives. That is the beauty and wonder of God's richness. And maybe today you have heard the invitation a hundred times to hear and to believe. You have heard sermons preached a hundred times. But today, God is inviting you again to soften your heart and receive and understand the message of Jesus one more time. Would you bow your heads with me today? If this is you in this room today and you want to proclaim Jesus as Lord of your life, if you hear and you see the prodigalness of God, his wastefully extravagant grace and mercy upon our lives, and you want to receive the salvation that his son has so freely given us, today you can do just that. You can proclaim Jesus as Lord of your lives. You can ask him to save you. You can ask him to forgive you. Today, I wanna give you that opportunity. Would you say this prayer with me? Jesus, I believe, I believe that you came for me. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you got up out of the grave for me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, help me, Lord, to proclaim you as Lord of my life and to walk with you all the days of my life. Help me to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, listen, we wanna celebrate that with you. I encourage you that your first action step is just to go to our next steps area, to tell somebody, to let them know that you have received this. But I also wanna encourage you, church, that there are thousands of invitations that God is gonna give you over the next few days, over the next week, and I encourage you to continue to follow after him, to pursue him, to step into those invitations that he has given you. Would you pray with me one last time? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us into this place. Lord, thank you for your word today. Lord, we proclaim, God, that you are good. Lord, that you are merciful and you are gracious. And Lord, we proclaim today, God, that we will follow you. Be with us, Lord, guide us. Help us step into those invitations today. In Jesus' name.